and welcome to an emergency Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. I don't really understand what oh the humanity meant when that person said it when he saw the Hindenburg blimp explode, but oh the humanity, the inhumanity. As we all know now, white nationalist terrorists who answer to Donald Trump in red hats and carrying Confederate and Trump flags and at least one massive noose stormed the U.S. Capitol today, murdered a woman, broke windows, fired guns, issued threats, overwhelmed the police, and desecrated the very seat of our government in the name of giving Trump a thousand-year Reich. If there were ever any question that Trump's supporters just wanted an honest examination of the election results of November, as Senator Ted Cruz and others had claimed, we now know this is bullshit. They wanted insurrection and to seize the Capitol and plant a terrorist flag. Again, that flag is a Confederate flag, and even a noose was installed outside the Capitol. There's no question this is a white supremacist act by a terrorist militia. Like so many Americans, I felt my brain shatter watching the videos, and my throat ran dry, so I should probably shut up and just listen I could think of no better person to listen to than Professor Joanne Freeman, a historian at Yale and the author of The Field of Blood, Violence in Congress and the Road to Civil War. Welcome to Trumpcast, Professor Freeman. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for being here on a day that right in front of us, something is happening that almost explodes the American nervous system. I, I, I don't know what the exact word for it is, but maybe you can put it into context with other moments of American political violence for us. Sure. Well, certainly I've studied a lot of moments, actually not just of political violence, but violence in Congress. The first half of the 19th century, there was a good amount of physical violence in Congress. Mm -hmm. But an interesting thing about that violence versus what we see going on today is a lot of that violence was, it was physical, it was real, but it was for impact. It was for effect. So Southerners would threaten and intimidate anyone who tried to oppose slavery, threaten physical violence, pull weapons on them, and it had an impact. But the goal wasn't to actually be violent. The goal was to use threats of violence to maintain power. Yeah. What we're seeing today, obviously, has gone beyond that. Until now, we've been seeing some of the similar behavior, right? We've been seeing bullying and threats, and um, there's been kind of a back and forth between people talking about violence. And then um, on social media and in the press, we've seen people saying, do they mean it? Does it matter? Is it, you know, should we dismiss this? Should we pay attention to it? Um, and I understand that kind of conversation, but obviously what we're seeing now uh, is that it isn't just a threat. It's gone beyond that. And it's an actual invasion of the U.S. Capitol. I mean, I, I can say even as someone who focuses on political violence and has been working on violence in Congress for over 15 years, um, th this is just stunning to see. As much as we might sit here and say, well, we kind of predicted some violence, this this is on another level, I think. You said, um, and I remember from your work, that it is it's, it was in defense of slavery that some of the violent acts passed have been performed. And here we are with the Confederate flag hoisted or, or at least hauled into the nation's capital. I mean, is there a direct line from that kind of terrorism in Congress or violence in Congress to this kind of terrorism and insurrection? That's a fascinating question. And and the short answer, I suppose, would be yes, um, mostly because the 
people who were threatening in, in Congress and trying to use violence, that was, you know, at the time, what would have been called the slave power. And what they were trying to do was hold on to power and they were afraid of losing it. So these were power holders hanging on by their fingernails to maintain power, well aware that there was a rising threat to it. And in a way, that's sort of what we're seeing now, right? Mm -hmm. Is people who have had power for a long time, it's a certain kind of power. It, it's a power that assumes that white people are at the center of it. Uh, and we're seeing what people, some people have decided to do when they feel that they might lose the power that they feel entitled to have. The accounts, extraordinary accounts that you have given of violence in the Capitol, I can't think of, and I'm sure you can correct me, I can't think of instances where the Capitol's been stormed before and and from the outside. The ones that I mostly remember are like two office holders who get into some kind of, it begins as a seemingly political argument and then explodes into actual physical violence. Um, right. But is there another time I'm missing where the actual U.S. Capitol building has had windows smashed and has had the Capitol Police overwhelmed and been stormed? Well, not like this. You know, as a historian, you don't like to call things unprecedented, but um, yeah. not like this. Now, that said, there was a lot of talk of this kind of thing, threats of this kind of thing. Um, yeah. Southerners saying, if you do this thing, we will take over the Capitol, we will take over Washington, you know, we will raise things to the ground. I mean, there was talk of that kind of language. But what's interesting mm -hmm. is what in, let's say, 1850, when the slavery issue was really beginning to heat up, mm -hmm. what members of Congress, certainly in the House, were afraid of, in part, is right in line with what you're asking here. They were afraid more than of each other, which they knew was an ongoing threat, but wasn't they didn't assume that things would be raised to the ground. They were afraid of the American public in the midst of a fiery debate over slavery, rushing onto the mm. floor and causing bloodshed. Mm. That wow. was what, what they had fear about. And they knew that there were people in the galleries. And as a uh, North Carolina congressman put it, there are hundreds of people at any given moment milling about in the Capitol. And if mm -hmm. they get upset about what's going on in here, what's to stop them from coming into the House chamber and shooting what was amazing to me is that, you know, it's back to like a side, how did you enjoy the play, Mr. Lincoln? Because there was a piece of political theater going on today that was interrupted by this. So right. let's go back to how we actually enjoyed that play for a second. Right. Well, right. Yeah. So, t so Ted Cruz had just said this thing that stuck in my mind, which is, you know, the reason for this kabuki around we need to examine the votes and whatever else that was going to keep them from certifying the election for Joe Biden was that some percentage of Americans Americans believe in, you know, believe that there's election fraud or some, put another way, want to overturn the election as Trump does, as he does, and that we need to listen to them. Just because they have a set of false, demonstrably false beliefs, they need to be listened to and it's the American way to listen to them. And they then they retreated to do this strange conversation about what was going on in Arizona that, well, as we all know. So, but then, just as we'd been instructed that the whole reason that Ted Cruz was going to pretend that this effort to overturn the election by Donald Trump was kind of okay or fit into some democratic story was that we had to listen to people with seditious views of the government, namely that they wanted to overthrow democracy. Then they, you know, took this opportunity to be heard with an armed assault on right. the Capitol. And I mean, I think that we've gotten to a kind of 
I don't know. I mean, maybe violence, violence toward bodies. And a woman was shot in the Capitol. There were guns, there were property damage, and there's a noose hung outside the Capitol that I just saw. Obviously, two flags, not the American flag, hoisted the Trump flag and the Confederate flag. When this stuff happens, the idea of listening to some constituency just dissolves. Like, this is, that's not, this is not how this is supposed to happen, you know? No, well, you know, it's tempting to paint what you're doing with that kind of language of democracy, right? The American public needs to be heard, blah, blah, blah. The fact of the matter is we have systems in place that have been operating and that actually operated fine. And then courts that proved that they have been operating in a fine manner. We have systems in place. The constitution and the, the national constitution and state constitutions are kinds of pacts that Americans make with each other about how they think government should operate. And at any given moment, you can't simply say, we don't like the process, we don't like what it's doing, so we're just gonna do something else. That's that. Although you can frame that kind of claim in the trappings of democracy, it, it, it isn't, it, it just fundamentally isn't. And related to that, as you suggested, the counting of votes is supposed to be kind of, in a sense, it's ceremonial, it's performative. Um, but it's a reminder that those kinds of ceremonies and performances matter, right? I mean, I was just saying earlier to someone today, what I normally love about those moments is because they are literally showing the public democracy in operation. They are Mm -hmm. showing the transfer of power. They are showing the system in operation. That's what they're for. And so Mm -hmm. preventing that from happening by making false claims and then sort of turning around and and spurning the actual process through which you could and could have before this point had evidence and made claims in a proper manner. That's, it's one thing to claim that's democratic, but that's not what they're talking about. And the attack right after that just backs that idea up. Yeah. I mean, I kept wondering whether, how Cruz in particular will kind of make sense of this, because it's clearly on a continuum with what he was saying. And we hear it as a dog whistle. But Cruz is somewhat adept, not entirely adept at making it look like he's within bounds of con- of kind of constitutional and, and a decent conversation in the Capitol. And, you know, it, it sounds now like, look, you know, when I play it back in my mind, it sounds basically like stand back and stand by, like Trump said to the Proud Boys, or like a kind of war whoop, which is like, they will, you can, you must listen to this, you know, minority of Americans that share views contrary to fact. And that's the reason that we're going to call, you know, gum up the works of democracy and, you know, try to thwart Joe Biden's presidency, because a group of armed red hats are outside. And because the president, I mean, you know, so what did he say after all of this? He he said, okay, this has gone too far, but the election was still stolen. Yeah. Right. I love, I love all of you. This has gone too far. You should go home. But the fact is the election was still stolen. So still lying, still promoting that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I assume that's what Republicans generally will do right now is, well, we didn't want it to go that far. But the fact of the matter is, yeah. you know, the election was stolen. It's only Democratic, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all over um, social media today, there are all of these people making claims about the process and what the process is supposed to be. And you know, I keep saying over and over again, no, see, it's in writing. <laughs> You know, there's there oh, yeah. constitutions that say what the process is. And you can't simply declare, well, this person can do this 
because you want that person to do it. So, you know, others have spoken about in other kinds of regimes, non-democratic regimes, what happens when you lose the ability to be able to count on facts. That's Mm -hmm. the realm that we're in right now is not only are these sort of false democratic claims being made, but then there are people who absolutely feel, some people, of course, I think are being cagey, but other people I think sincerely feel, particularly members of the public, that it was a rigged election, that it was wrong, that this is, you know, that that people storming the Capitol believe that they're saving democracy and saving the country. And precisely what you do when there are people that are deluded like that, but are Mm -hmm. such true believers that they feel that what they're doing has virtue, it's it's a question that I can't answer. One thing you, I hope, and I think can answer is, what are the consequences when things come to blows, or in this case, gunshots? I mean, to me, it seems like you lose a certain amount of authority when you hoist the Confederate flag on the U.S. Capitol, right? Right. Um, and when you fire a gunshot in the Capitol, there's just there's. It seems to me there's no coming back from that. But since this has happened many times before, we know what happens after these things. So what does happen? Well, you you lose authority and you gain authority, right? So people who believe what these people are in the, the, the cause these people are fighting for, they're going to be more true believers, right? So on the one hand, yeah, you, you, you lose credibility if you're firing a gun in the Capitol and hoisting the Confederate flag and you're sh- deliberately shutting doors in the faces of people who are excluded by those very things. But these are people who want that audience excluded. Right. These are people who very much are playing to a group of people who are perfectly comfortable with the Confederate flag and what it represents. So Mm -hmm. as with everything else, I think you end up with a mixed message of what people who agree or don't agree with what's going on believe. My hope is that there will be a number of people, you know, Republican in their leanings who won't go that far and will see that this has gone too far and that regardless of where they lean in their you know, political leanings that even they won't accommodate and allow for this as being appropriate. But some people, this is just going to continue to fuel the fire. You know, I didn't totally understand also their demands, and I'm not entirely sure that they and Cruz, they they seem to me somewhat at cross purposes because, you know, there has to be some fiction that there's a factual case to be made for election fraud. And they didn't even kind of weave some of it into a kind of QAnon discourse or like spend the time, like let them even talk for half an hour about Arizona so they could make some case. I mean, none of it. They just, even before they so strongly knew that there was no election fraud that they were like, besides, that's not what we want anyway. We want to like occupy the Capitol, but in the name of the sitting president, that's the other weird thing. Right. I mean, it's state sponsored terrorism against the state. And the people who are claiming that the state on a national level somehow has control over the state, each state choosing electors. I mean, that's the other thing. And this gets back to the process, right? There are some people who are saying, you know, well, what the Congress should weigh in here. It's like, no, actually, each state, the Constitution says each state has the power to decide for itself how yeah. electors are chosen. This is not a decision Congress makes. It's a process. I mean, you know, when I teach about the founding, um, which I teach pretty much every semester, um, one of the things I always focus on is that what the people writing that constitution believed that they were doing, the important part of it was, was creating a process encoded 
documented that was supposed to exist and be there to help the nation get out of problems, right? Oh, if there's a problem, mm-hmm. we'll go back to the process. What they said, and actually Madison explicitly said it in his old age, what matters here, what we're doing is putting a process in place that can exist as an objective process that we can agree on as Americans is the process of how our government should operate. Process is what it's all about. And that's what we've been seeing, not just today, but throughout this election, people denying, obscuring, forgetting, denouncing the actual process of government. And unfortunately, the sort of fuzzier implications of that are all of this helps not just um, remove credibility or authority of the people engaged in it, but it, it, I don't know, how do I want to put it, weakens or encourages people to feel even more distrustful of the stability of government, of the electoral mm-hmm. process. We're already at a moment when the government, in many ways, for the last four years, has been eroded from within. Yeah. But now, you know, we've been watching the electoral process, which is the absolute basis of a democracy being attacked. And, and that's mm-hmm. what we're witnessing now. So let's say that, you know, everyone ultimately goes home, it's, it's over, they go back to counting electoral votes. The fact of the matter is this happened and it will have implications for people. So, you know, in the same way that I said before, that performance matters, even mm-hmm. if this is more performance than anything else, boy, it's a performance that matters tremendously. They'd already put a pall over the transition and, you know, <laughs> we're in the midst of a pandemic and we're going in very, very shaken. And interestingly, I don't know if McConnell knew anything, but his speech before cruises about how this would throw democracy into a death spiral if we didn't certify and use the those words. And we know McConnell yeah. has a great fondness for death. But um, <laughs> in this case, I think he wanted to avoid it. But he, uh, you know, when he said that, I thought, I mean, man, we had these two opposing speeches right before this happened. It's so strange. Know. You know, that like, is the, I mean, is this, you're right. If they don't certify by midnight, I mean, is that the kind of death spiral that that McConnell was talking about? I mean, I can't. Yeah, I can't say that or predict that at this point. I mean, I, I you know, I, and I think it would be kind of irresponsible of us to do that because I yeah. think, you know, the interesting aspect, <laughs> interesting in quotation marks of being a historian at this yeah. point is so much of this is unprecedented. As a historian, I can say that, mm-hmm. but I cannot necessarily predict what comes next because who knows? really what what comes next. Yeah. I'm grateful for the caution, but I'm also curious about for instance, Biden said, you know, gave a stern and appropriate response to this, but he said, you know, it's almost sedition. And so others have said almost insurrection or these are almost terrorists. And I'm not quite sure once someone acts violently in the capital, it seems like it's like our language convulses. We don't, we don't know how to talk about this. Right. We That's don't right. we don't have words for this. We you know and on all of these words. I mean we've been we've been in kind of a crisis of words for a while, right? People throwing around yes. socialist and fascist and communist, all the ists and what they mean and and this is kind of more of the same. We don't have language to describe this. And so people are saying, you know, it's a coup. It's it's terrorism. It's this is not 
in the American tradition on this scale. And I, I actually don't like when people, which they tend to do, sort of look to Nazi Germany and say, oh, look, this is just, yeah, yeah. that's kind of a cop out because it, it almost removes this from being our problem and suggests there's like some hmm. other process out there that takes place. And, oh, mm-hmm. we're falling into the process. Like, no, this is ours. We own this. This has to do with mm-hmm. where we're from and where we're going and what we're doing now. And we can learn from other countries, but no, don't, don't use Nazism as a this is just like. This is this is an American version of whatever's going on right now. And we have to figure out what it means. And we have to come up with the right words. And, mm-hmm. you know, I hesitate to use traitor or sedition um, because those words have very specific meanings. They should mm-hmm. have very specific meanings. And as we've mm-hmm. sort of said a, a little while back, words really matter right now. Mm-hmm. Right? The words mm-hmm. that we're using really matter. And people should be using them carefully. Some people are not deliberately yes. not but i i don't want to join in and and start throwing around extremes and and fueling mm-hmm. things that shouldn't be fueled you know i think some people have to stand up and say this is what democracy is this is what democracy isn't mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. this is not democracy and you know let's move on and go to a different place i do think and i've been trying to write about this in a variety of ways. And again, I don't have an answer for this. I fundamentally think a lot of people don't know really what democracy is. Mm-hmm. And I I think they've kind of lost track of what it means other than it being kind of a buzzword, you know, liberty, <laughs> democracy, freedom, with no yeah. meaning behind it. And in the case of, you know, liberty and freedom, there are somewhat the the implications are somewhat less grave than not understanding what democracy is, which is really the the fundamental core of our government. So, you know, mm-hmm. on a on a very not quite abstract, but on a very high level, some of what we're seeing now is a product of people honestly not knowing the process, not knowing what democracy is, quite willingly mm-hmm. believing anything anyone says about what's supposed to happen because they don't mm-hmm. know what's supposed to happen because yeah. we've never thought of democracy as being this fragile. We've never put ourselves in this situation before. We as Americans kind of generally had this, you know, we're invincible, it can't happen here view of things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for years I've been thinking to myself, you know, well, it can happen here and it's beginning to happen here and now it is happening here. And so I suppose um, if you wanna sort of push things in a positive direction, here's one of my hopes. If nothing else, this moment should teach Americans the fragility of democracy. I think Mm -hmm. we took it for Mm -hmm. granted for a long time. I think Mm -hmm. we assumed, you know, you can give people power and put them in office and they might be irresponsible, but it's all okay. And we're America and we survive and democracy goes on. And the fact of the matter is it's not invincible and we don't necessarily happily percolate along. It's fragile Mm -hmm. and it relies on the American people to recognize that and to stand up Mm -hmm. for it, to defend democracy, to abide by the Constitution, to to really be there as engaged citizens. That's some of what we've been seeing in the last four years, and particularly around this election, and that's encouraging. Mm Um, mm-hmm. but, but I, you know, I, it's, it's kind of a dark hope, but one of my hopes really is that this will really school people about the fact that, um, democracy is fragile everywhere that it is, including in America. And you can never take that 
for granted. And you really have to understand what it is and stand up as a citizen, not by beating your chest and being violent and threatening to shoot people who disagree with you, but by really committing to democratic processes that believe in and, and further debate and compromise. You can argue fiercely, but our government is grounded on the ability for people to debate and argue and scream, but still debate and compromise. That's how a government works. There's no, you know, right now we're at this point where some people are just saying we are government, we are America, and you guys are the enemy and you're evil and you don't count. That's mm -hmm. not it's, it's an understatement to say that's not democratic, but, you know, that, that well, that's another one of those words people are tossing around, but that's authoritarian rhetoric. Right. We are the yeah. only ones who count. And if you don't agree with us, you're scum. That's 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 an extreme form of rhetoric. That's definitely what we heard, what I could make out that the men who who charged the Capitol were, were saying. And, you know, this has given me so much food for thought. But just thinking about Ted Cruz saying that that it's somehow a democratic gesture to listen to the polled, the people polled who hold false beliefs and making that, it just showed how far we've come from, as you say, understanding what democracy even is, that something about a polling thing right. could get, you know, could could um, could even be an admissible argument for why to, why to overthrow this exactly. pro forma and crucially important certification process. Exactly. It's, it's, that's a, that's a direct attempt to just set aside the actual process. Yeah. We don't agree and we want to be heard because we don't agree. Well, that's nice. You don't have to agree. You can argue. Yeah. You can write about it. You can go into newspapers. You can protest. You can do all of those things because we're a democracy. But what you can't do is say, you know what? I don't care about the process, but we have demands and we're going to make them into heck with the actual process and the way things are supposed to work. That's not how a functioning polity works. That's not how a democracy works. I am so grateful to you, Joanne, for, uh, for I didn't even bring up, is this Fort Sumter or Reichstag fire? Because you <laughs> very quickly cooled off my, you know, worser natures. Yes. <laughs> I can see you, fortunately. I'll tell listeners that you're giving a no. <laughs> no Reichstag. No, words. yeah. No Reichstag, no Fort Sumter. No, no. Yeah, I know. No, no, no. And, you know, I think you're right. And I think we will roll back into this process. But I will say this is, you know, I, I don't know. I was almost imagining when I saw cameras going through the Capitol that one day we would see like a little plaques there explaining this terrible moment in American history. Well, you know, I, I watched, and I'll mention the title of the book that I just published because it's so on topic. And please, it couldn't be more <laughs> right, The Field of Blood, Violence in Congress and the Road to Civil War, um, which obviously talks about a lot of these same things. But, um, you know, a lot of that book takes place in the House. And um, I, in the book, there's a moment in which um, a main character in the book talks about being in the House of Representatives and how in the evening when the candles are lit and there's some important issue under debate and the galleries are full and, and there's a serious discussion, it's hard to imagine a more majestic sight than the House mm -hmm. of Representatives showing the people at debate. And what I watched on TV was people with flags and potentially weapons marching through the original House of Representatives, which is now Statuary Hall. And, you know, it, it, it breaks your heart. It just breaks your heart. Yeah. 
Professor Joanne Freeman is a historian at Yale and the author of The Field of Blood, Violence in Congress, and The Road to Civil War. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, and I guess everybody stand up for democracy. (laughs) That's it for today's emergency Trumpcast. Come find us on Twitter to talk about this. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. Our show today was produced at very short notice by Melissa Kaplan and engineered at equally short notice by Richard Stanislaw, whose idea this emergency episode of Trumpcast was. And special thanks to my wonderful son, Ben Samuels, a sophomore in high school who first recommended Joanne Freeman to me as a wonderful speaker and historian. Thank you, Ben. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.